1: Soccer Show and our weekend review Memorial Day Spectacular Yes Bayern Munich have their hands on the Meisterschaller thanks in part to a miss from poor old Sebastian Haller Haller has been the story of the season, but Bayern are champs despite Nagelman's skiing-based treason. Everton has survived after DeCorey scored as fans were chanting to sack the board. Leicester's fiesta is over after nine years, and it's a likely exit point for Madison and his peers. And it's over for Leeds, who couldn't fight their decline, with a manager who can now return to his pints of wine. But at Wembley, there were much more positive matters, as a Premier League spot was won by the Hatters. With a shootout win, Luton finally joined the top tier. But will their tiny little stadium fill Erling Haaland with fear? Yeah, probably not. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who could sell out Luton's Kenilworth Road if he brought 10,355 friends with him. Taylor Rockwell, hello. 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 I don't know. Erling
2: Haaland's kind of a big guy. Maybe he could get claustrophobic in a space like that. Uh, but mm-hmm. yes, I appreciate the kind words, even if they were then immediately negated by negative words.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh, you, you make a good point. Uh, if Erling Haaland were to sit in the stands at Kinneworth Road, its capacity reduces to around 5,000. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thereabouts.
2: Is that not a problem? Don't you have like minimum stadium requirements? Or are you allowed to get around that if you are Luton town and you have Ethan Horvath in goal?
1: There are some stadium requirements there. Uh, required to spend upwards of $10 million, are Luton, on their Premier League return, Taylor. Return? Top flight return, I should say. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to get into that later in the show. There are specific things they have to do. I don't believe putting more seats in is one of them, but they do have to do things like change their floodlights to, I don't know, LEDs? Because that seems <laughs> modern, doesn't it? That's one of the <laughs> things they have to do there. Anyway, joining us, Taylor, a man uh, facing the prospect of talking to his wife and child with the European season all but wrapped up, Graham Rutherford, Hello, how are you doing?
3: Hello, Ryan Bailey. I mean, I wouldn't count on it. There's, you know, transfer speculation and under 20s Mm. World Cup and tennis like tennis is on now. So, yeah, sorry, wife and child going to have to wait until uh, retirement. I don't know. Is this (laughs) is this like if Graham were a a cattleman and he like
2: took the, the herd on like a six month drive and he finally got home? Is that what the end of the European season is? He's got like a three day window before he has to get back out there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I've in that window, I've decided to launch a newsletter, and a company is launching a month from now as well. So,
1: <laughs> there we fun go. times. Uh, it's cute that you think you're going to retire one day, Graham. Or well. we, we all know you're not. You're oh yeah, gonna I'm, keep going. I'm.
3: I'm a millennial. Like that retirement <laughs> is a distant concept that I will never realise.
1: Wonderfully depressing note uh, to start off with, Graham. It's very true indeed. But joining us, a man who knows there's no such thing as a free lunch,
4: except when it's your birthday, Joe <laughs> Lowry. You've been very busy getting free stuff, have you not? I have been. You know, I was I was on my grind that Friday. I I put in the work. So it was my sister's birthday a few months earlier, and we were celebrating with her. And I realized like, you know, if you want to get the deals on your birthday, you have to take action, right? Because they want you to, they, they want to suck you in. They want to get you on their app. They want to have you do all these things. And so I spent an hour on my sister's birthday instead of spending time with my family, I spent an hour signing up for all these different apps and you can see the fruit of my labor on the Patreon. It was a fun birthday. Honestly, it really was. I'd never gone through it and made the rounds quite like that before. No chocolate milk, which was a topic in our pre-show meeting in aggressive air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um... But it was, it was a fun time and you can watch it on Patreon. So this was
3: my, I think my favorite ever TSS Plus Patreon video. It's very, very well done, Joe. But I, I do have like a question. So Ryan, maybe you can prov- provide some perspective on on this. This is surely an American thing, right? If I went to, an Amer- uh, to a restaurant or a fast food place in the UK and went, it's my birthday, they would go, "All right, so what? <laughs> <laughs> or in Scotland, more accurately, they'd go, so what? Like that is, would ha- that is the response I would get
1: in the UK. Yeah, that's accurate. But Joe, I, I I know like the Starbucks app gives you a free coffee. I know yeah. there's certain restaurants where I'm on the email mailing list where I get. But usually it's like you can have a free side if you buy a steak. Like it's not usually like you seem to be driving around Arizona with like filling up your trunk with uh, an amazing haul of uh, food and cookies and, and 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 tacos and things.
4: That's basically what happened. You got to know the right spots, right? I mean, mm. I, I, my sister's birthday is in February. Like, I had months to do this research. We really spent time diving in, finding the right places to go. There are a couple of places, like legitimately, oh, that God. do give you free lunches, but they're they're local to Arizona that I know of at least. And so we went to those spots you know, a, a bit south of where we live. And so that was, was maybe not something that people outside of the Phoenix area can replicate, but you just got to think ahead, man. Just think ahead, mm-hmm. look up, use the internet, use all the modern advantages that you have and, and free food will be yours too.
3: Does Does this birthday concept extend to like other establishments? Like does it go beyond food and right. restaurants?
4: Well, like yeah, if I turn to Walmart like a, it's like, hey, it's like yeah, yeah exactly. for a in
2: prison, uh, you got out the one day a year for your birthday. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. how it works. One free day yeah. uh, out of prison, and then you're back in. Not that I'm, I'm aware of, a construction.
3: If I turn up to like, a <laughs> up to like a construction supply company, they're going to give me like a like a like a load of
4: sand or something like that. Like, <laughs> Grim, why don't <laughs> Grim, why don't you try? Why don't you on your next trip to Portland to hang out with with. Uh, with some different folks, with why don't gun. you come in and, and give that a shot, ask for some sand, and see yeah. what happens. Also, that's the most, like, Graham Scottish thing of all time. Yeah. We're talking about, like, cooking. He could have imagined anything, like, anything in the world, and he could, went for some could sand. I, could I get some sand? In Arizona. <laughs> We're more dust people than we are sand people, Graham, Just, just sort of for your... Edification
2: Graham, dream big, my friend. Dream big on your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Some people want gold and to live forever, Graham, just a big old pile of sand. Yeah, so I might
3: be at the point of Barry where they're like starting the the, the sand company.
1: That might have like permeated my thought process there. (laughs) That makes sense. Patreon.com slash total Soccer Joe to check out Joe cruising around Phoenix. Uh, It is Honda with the uh, dealership writing of the sale price still on his windshield. No, that's that's not not what that was.
4: That's 100% not what that was. My car got towed. That is from the tow place. I have not
1: erased it yet. <laughs> Be
4: precise, Ryan.
1: Well, there's the next Patreon video. Thank you, Joe. We look forward to hearing more about that escapade. Uh, listener, do uh, check us out on TSS Plus if, uh, if this nonsense pleases you. But let's get to the weekend. A big one it was. The end of the Premier League. The end of the Bundesliga. Let's start off in the bully, shall we? An amazing final match date we had on Saturday in which... Sigh. Bayern Munich claimed their sorry, no disrespect to the Bayern Munich fans, but it wasn't the narrative we were expecting. I'll say Bayern Munich claiming their eleventh consecutive title this weekend uh, needed a very late winner to claim it on goal difference. Wowzers! And uh, interesting to think, Graham, that this Bundesliga title won on the help of goal difference with many goals scored in Julian Nagelsmann's reign, uh, getting a big positive goal difference they did under his leadership.
3: I have no idea what to think of this Bundesliga season. Um, Bayern Munich very good for stretches of it, also very bad for other stretches of it, and I think we saw th- that in this match. So the the the, Co- the Cologne Bayern Munich match that, that was very much my kind of second screen because I just knew the drama was going to be at Dortmund. That the, the drama, I guess, either way was always going to be at Dortmund, whether they won it or lost it. Um, and in the end, I think Bayern Munich gave. I think they just gave Dortmund a glimmer of hope so they could snatch it away again by scoring a winner. So late, late on, that feels very on-brand for uh, for Bayern Munich. But um, yeah, not a terribly convincing performance by them, which of course has been common for them in the second half of the season. And this game, so they score through, I think it's Kingsley Coleman who scores the first goal. Then Cologne equalised through a, a penalty to make it 1-1. Fairly, you know, late on in the game. Um, and at 1-1, the body language was actually really bad from Bayern Munich there was tension between players the sprinklers came on randomly which just added to the chaos Um, the Bayern directors in the stands were shouting at the referee Oliver Kahn was not one of those directors he was sacked during, during the match, in briefed that they had sacked Oliver Kahn, and then he tweeted after the game that he'd been told he couldn't attend the match by his employers at Bayern Munich. But he was very calm about it and totally didn't lose of his course. temper at all. Yes, of as, course. <laughs> as is customary for Oliver Kahn, yes. of course, who we've seen <laughs> very angry at various times this season in the stands. He was not in the stands for this game. Then the goal came for Bayern Munich, obviously, late on through Jamal Musiala. I guess it's fitting that he scores that winner, given he has probably been, for my money anyway, probably been their their best player of the season. But yeah, there's just so many different strands with this Bundesliga title uh, decider, this final day. Obviously, we have the Bayern politics that I think is now a major story in Germany. And then you contrast it with what happened at Dortmund, where uh, their match just it just turned out exactly how i feared it would it would as soon as i saw those t-shirts so um archie Toot tweeted out before the match that dortmund vendors were selling t-shirts celebrating winning the bundesliga title and as soon as i saw those t-shirts i just i just knew that dortmund were doomed and i really knew they were doomed when they were 2-0 down after 24 mm. minutes and missed a penalty it was their worst nightmare come true but just so
1: utterly utterly predictable I wonder uh, how valuable those t-shirts are now. Do you think they're on eBay already? Like being bought be by item. Bayern Munich fans. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Probably so. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just to recap, uh, Bayern Munich getting a 2-1 win to win the Bundesliga title. All Dortmund had to do, Taylor, was get three points. Yep. Uh, they did not. They came kind of close at the end with like an offside. Uh, was it Halle who got the goal that was ruled offside, I think, late on? Uh, obviously, he had a penalty uh, that was missed mm. as well. Loads and loads and loads and loads of missed chances for Dortmund, Taylor, in a game that ended 2-2 in the end against Mainz yeah and so
2: overall i saw some comparisons to the tortoise and the hare if the hare like napped multiple times during the story and then publicly got into fights with other hares while the race was happening and then still managed to win because the tortoise pulled a hammy at the finish line that's pretty (laughs) much how this played out and it's the second time this season that in our our group slack that we've had uh, like multiple oh dortmund no uh messages we had this the last time dortmund played Bayern munich and here we are again with this game slipping away and graham mentioned archie rinzut uh not a criticism of him, but at halftime, you could see how sort of physically he uncomfortable, uncomfortable he was when they cut to him because he began it by saying the atmosphere in this stadium is uncomfortable. Like it, it was not a happy place to be. I think the feeling was we have shot ourselves in the foot multiple times. And now here we are two nil down. There's no way we're coming back. And and I think though they end up pulling two goals back, one of them happens, what, like one minute, one minute after uh, time added on. Mm. Um I think it just never really felt like they were going to find a way to to get the win, to get all three points uh, once they were 2-0 down. Yeah. Again, a, an uninspired fight back, and Gio Reyna a big part of that. But it just, I think when you go down the way they did and have the sort of moments where they can't capitalize the way they did, it just, it's such a I I have such sympathy for Dortmund fans Uh, and supporters, but it was just such a strange way for this season to end. I, again, to echo Graham's thoughts, don't really know what to make of this Bundesliga campaign overall.
3: Just another beat on the atmosphere before we move on to kind of some more football-y stuff. I was trying to think of another occasion that, that was similar to this where you had half a million people out in the streets Mm -hmm. on on Dortmund. You had this incredible march to the match, which I know they do pretty regularly, but more people, real momentum behind. This is finally our day. We've waited a decade for this. You could tell from the start, there was a real sort of carnival atmosphere. There was an expectation that Dortmund, this this was it, this was the moment. And obviously we've had big teams that have suffered big disappointments, but it tends to be in kind of, Champions League finals, where the peril is 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 accepted from the from the the first you know from the first whistle, and well, there's disappointment. There's not this kind of there's not this horror as it's unfolding, as there was in this match. I I couldn't come up with anything. I mean, people, including myself on Twitter, were comparing it to Spurs. I tweeted out like the Leonardo DiCaprio watching himself on TV meme as like Spurs watching Dortmund, but like Spurs have never. In recent memory, anyway, have never been in a situation like that where they have completely—I mean, I'm going to use this term. I'm not sure if I totally believe it, but like bottled it essentially. Like this was a real Dortmund bottling it moment. I guess I—I I struggle to compare it to anything else that I've seen.
1: Joe, what did you make of this? Obviously, uh, they're on a streak of eleven straight home wins, and it ended literally when it mattered most. Here, they—they brought this on themselves. But Joe, what a- what I was intrigued by was the, the injury time and sort of the last 10 minutes or so, they didn't feel like they were playing with the team with the urgency of a team that needed to get some goals to win a league title. It felt like I, I wanted to see the keeper in the box more and that kind of stuff. It didn't feel like they were as rushed as I expected. Is that fair?
4: Yeah, I think so. I had some of those same thoughts, even like looking through some of the substitutions and the timing of them. I mean, that Terzic was fairly proactive on that way, but I mean, he, he had... Maybe a little bit more wiggle room to bring on players a bit earlier to try to push. I thought about that stuff. I thought about maybe Kobo going forward a bit more. Really, though, Dorman shot themselves in the foot from the start of this game. Like, I don't know that there was a whole lot more realistically that they could have done to get back into this match and really to claim this title. They took 29 shots in this game. For context, that's a lot of shots. 29 shots is a ton of shots for a soccer good game. Good context, good context. Yeah, thank you. I thought that'd be helpful. Um, they had four, according to FOTMOP, they had four expected goals in this game. They had 73% possession. They had 583 accurate passes compared to Mainz's 166. Like, they dominated this game, but part of the reason they dominated is because after Mites go up 2-0 they sit in a 5-4-1 block for 75 minutes or whatever it was when you factor in stoppage time. Like, Dorman's individual mistakes early on at first, it's the set piece. It's a corner kick in-swinger to the near post. The runner crashes. Emre Chan, I think, is the, the man marker on that, but the fact that I don't even really know tells you how bad the marking actually was. And then the, the runner splits the zone of markers inside the six-yard box, and, and it's a beautiful header in that moment. And then 2-0 comes with Mainz in possession, a big switch over to their left side. Tons of space on that side, eventually across into the box, Poor marking, again, from Bayern Munich. I'm Ray Chan and Matt Hummels are, like, not at all on the same page. It's a really simple header for Mainz, and it's 2-0. You know, in that time period of Dortmund missing the penalty kick, which is super unfortunate for Hilaire and, and not the way that I think a lot of us wanted to see that season end for him in particular. But, like, you can't go out there and make those mistakes, have that penalty kick saved, and expect to come back into this game. Not, not that it was impossible, because, Ryan, you said it leading us into this game. Dortmund did have chances But man, even though they were the better team for the vast majority of the time that the ball was in play for this game on Saturday, it just didn't matter. It was a crazy series of mistakes, big mistakes that Dortmund couldn't recover from enough to put matters back into their own hands. Like there was a part of Saturday when it felt like they were going to win the title. Like there was a part leading up to Saturday where it felt like they were going to win the title. Graham, you did a good job of capturing that. But Dortmund just could not get things back into their own hands, into their own control in this match. And and to be honest, Graham and Taylor, you guys are talking about not knowing what to make of this Bundesliga season. And you guys going first in this discussion has helped me a little bit. But I will say, I feel like this is, for Dortmund, pretty much the same story. Like, the reason that we ended up talking about Dortmund so much this season is because of how poor Bayern Munich were, right? Nothing in my mind has really changed all that much for Dortmund. They are still a talented team that is one of the best four in Germany, is not very obviously a top team or, or a European contender, they're, they're who they are. They're a good team, but not a great team. And they've been that for a while now. Bayern Munich, on the other hand, are historically a great team and have been for the last decade. This season very much were not. And I think there are some some pretty clear reasons for that. But you know, the reason why Dortmund was even this close to begin with, the reason why they could print the t-shirts at all, is because yeah. of how poor Bayern Munich had been. It doesn't it doesn't feel like that's you know a super complicated narrative, and maybe I'm missing something here. And,
3: and, and I did say that last week, no matter what happened on this final day of the Bundesliga season, Bayern Munich's collapse was going to be the story. Yep. And even with Bayern Munich winning this title, you see Kahn um, losing his job, you have the the sporting director whose name I can I can never pronounce, he has also been sacked. And so in Germany, the dominant story right now is not Bayern Munich winning an 11th ele- title, it's their failings, it's their shortcomings and the bad decisions that they have made over the course of the season. For Dortmund, um, I mean, in pretty much everything that happened, it was clear to me that Dortmund hadn't been in this position for a long time. I yeah. thought there was a lot of nervous energy in in their play, even the way that Terzic so emphatically celebrated that cone equaliser, like jumping into the arms of. His assistant didn't really say to me there was a great deal of composure from anyone involved with with, with Dortmund and that and, and that team. I thought, I understand, Ryan, why you're saying that towards the end there wasn't a lot of urgency. But I actually think that was a reaction to the rest of the match before that. Everything felt very ragged and very rushed. And um, I've forgotten who they're playing. Mines were mm-hmm. cooking Dortmund in transition so many times. I mean, at 2-0... Uh, mines had a a couple of really good opportunities where Kobo comes up with big saves, and if that goes to three 0 then the the game's dead. So, just everything like. Putting on a 17-year-old for, the, for his debut, even though I thought Duranville actually did quite well, as I say, the nervous energy in the stadium and in the, in, in the play, I, j- I just thought it was all too much for a team that doesn't have the experience of knowing how to, to handle uh, these matches. Yeah. And reflecting on how Bayern Munich have collapsed, also have been thrust into this situation
4: very quickly,
3: where two months ago, those players are probably not expecting to have a chance to win the title on the final day.
4: The weird thing, Graham, I think that's an interesting point. I would attribute that... I don't know, it's not confusion, it's not, it's not lack of awareness of the situation, I guess just the poor performance. I would attribute that more to the fact that Dortmund's not an elite team than to a lack of experience. Like, you think about the players in this squad. Nikola Sula has won titles. He's been in big moments. Matt Hummels has, has been everywhere. You go into the forward line, Sebastian Haller has won titles. He's gone to the very top of the Netherlands. Adeyemi, I know these are different levels, some of them than, than the Bundesliga, but you have two center backs who very much have been here before. Emre Chan who's done basically everything that you can do in Europe. Like, I, I don't think they have a great excuse for not having been here. Like, they, they've been in moments like this before. I, they, I don't, really I don't think excuse. Like I didn't
3: really mean like the individuals. Yeah. I mean, like, the the team as a whole and the, and, yeah. and the club. And and obviously, there's a uh, there's. I'm bringing intangibles into this yeah, yeah. into a football discussion, but just watching it and the atmosphere and the way people were behaving, it was very clear to me: this is not normal for them, whereas for Bayern Munich, it is.
2: Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And Joe, I know where you're coming from. I just think to watch the way they responded to certain calls in the first 15 minutes, to see Emre Jean run the pitch twice, three times, like 80 yards with his hands behind his back to yell at the official uh, for everyone to lose their minds the way they did when the penalty wasn't given and then was given. Uh, I understand how you're going to be up for these moments, how you're going to feel that extra level of adrenaline, that extra level of, of, of nerves. But at the same time, I think that's where you have to be able to just get on with it and play your game. And it's not really dissimilar to me from a team that's losing, like just sort of riling up the other team and kicking them when the ball's gone and and kicking their best player. And if that team that's winning and has the better players starts to kind of get pulled into that mire, gets pulled into that kicking and shoving and back and forth, they lose their focus a little bit. And this was a time when Dortmund, if they kept their focus, I think, and, and didn't let moments that went against them sort of overcome them, and I think they did, I feel like this is a game that they end up winning. But that's where I think... The atmosphere, the intensity, the pressure, the fact that, yes, the the veteran leaders you talked about have won plenty of silverware, but they haven't won it at Dortmund, and I think that is part of it as well, that you just have all of these swirling emotions, and I think minds were just able to kind of play their game the way they wanted to, and it's worth noting, if this were just a normal, if this were match day 14 instead of match day 34, we're not really talking about this game, I don't think. Other than just like, wow, Dortmund were able to pull one back late. They get a point. That's exciting. Maybe that will help them in the long run. Uh, so I think there is an idea that this is sort of par for the course for Dortmund. It's just for it to happen the way it did. And and even for Musiala to have this late winner. And there is a world in which the narrative is like, this young this young player comes through and scores what could be an iconic goal in his career and, and leads Bayern Munich to another title – that isn't what people are leading with at all. It's what's worth mentioning, but I think in the end, it's still the way Dortmund just sort of capitulated and yeah. weren't able to get it over the line. That That's what will endure for me this season. It will be Nagelsmann and Neuer and everything that happened there, and it will be this final match day and Dortmund failing to get the win. The,
3: the fact that Musiala does score that goal just kind of makes my mind spin on what the actual narrative is, because, of course... He was a player who kind of embodied what Nagelsmann wanted Bayern Munich to be. And actually, ha- he only comes on, I think, for like five minutes in this match. So Tuchel doesn't seem to be as hot on him as, as Nagelsmann was, but then scores the goal that wins Bayern Munich the title. So I guess it's fitting in that he was maybe their player of the season. But in this transition to Tuchel, is he going to be import- as important for Bayern Munich going forward? I don't know. It's just very difficult to... to. Uh, there's a lot of strands to pull on with this with this season in, uh, in the Bundesliga. I am sad. That we didn't have uh,
2: Falar and Balogun scoring this weekend against Lyon, just because then we really could have rubbed it in Ryan's face. If Balogun had scored. Gio Reyna comes on. He could have played for England, but instead uh, he's playing for the U.S. He gets assists in this game. Musiala scores the winner. Uh, Erling Haaland is the golden boot winner. All of them choosing other countries instead of England. Ryan, rough times for you, my friend.
1: Hey, I chose another country instead of England a few years True. back too, Taylor. We've all been there. Attaboy. We've all been there. Um, yeah, so very interesting summer in the Bundesliga, particularly for Bayern Munich. As uh, Graham mentioned, CEO and sporting director are out. Uh An interesting job that Thomas Tuchel has over the summer, I suppose, elsewhere in the Bundesliga. Go ahead, Taylor. I just have one final question. I kept
2: wondering this throughout the game. If you all were Dortmund, I don't think there's a way to have full radio silence and for the players not to know. But if you're playing a game and it is sort of dependent on what the other team is doing in a different game, do you want to know what's happening? Because I think Vatska, the CEO, came out and said the news of the early Bayern goal combined with the penalty miss is when it felt like we sort of lost our our minds for a little bit of time, and that's when minds uh, were able to capitalize. So I, I, I buy into that a little bit, but at the same time, I also can imagine a scenario in which a fan yeah. or a supporter is like screaming at you, like, Byron are winning! And, and then yeah. it's sort of you're getting <laughs> indirect <laughs> information. So yeah. I think I'd rather know, but I'm wondering where you all are.
4: I, I would rather know. I think there is a real risk to knowing because mentally, and, and this is an intangible thing too, I think a lot of this is, has been intangible stuff, you know, it's difficult at times to battle some of those narratives in your own mind. At the same time, I'm not a professional athlete with their mental strength. Like, that's a different ballgame, so maybe they're better equipped to handle it. What I will say is I want to operate with the most information possible, right? Like, Mm -hmm. for for Dortmund and for Ed and Terzic, certainly, how you approach this game would very much depend on the rest of the context around, you know, do we need a goal? Do we not need a goal? Should we sit back a little bit deeper? Those have very real impacts on how you play and in what kinds of attacking moves you you produce what kinds of defensive shape what what kind of defensive shape you're in all that stuff i i definitely want to know all right so joe's on the fence on, graham what about
3: you i think it depends on what like the context of the situation is so i'm going to also sit on that fence. So like, oh, we're, joe we're i was t- joking joe joe clearly not on the fence joe very clearly
2: saying i want to know uh, i'm just sure. trying to annoy joe mostly uh this early in the morning
3: so like we'll talk about the leicester game later on like they just needed to win so actually in that situation like don't tell the players what's happening in the mm-hmm. other game and i guess dortmund from the start maybe you don't tell them until late on so, so for example there's a world where bayern, bayern draw this game and that match finishes and dortmund are drawing and that's enough for them to become champions that's where you maybe tell the players don't go like don't throw the goalkeeper up for a corner because a point is enough here like that's a situation where you definitely want to know but i think when you just need a win maybe block out everything else
1: yeah hmm. There was that famous city where Man City were relegated when they were keeping the ball in the corner because they thought all they needed was a draw, and it turns out they didn't. There's always danger of these kind of information getting to players, I suppose. Uh, Jumping elsewhere in the Bundesliga, Union Berlin are in the Champions League after a 1 0 home win over Werder Bremen. Freiburg go into the Europa League despite a a 2 1 loss. Uh, They were in a position to get into the Champions League League final, the Champions League at one point. I think it's true. (laughs) <laughs> in big victory Levikusen into the conference as well, despite a 3-0 loss to Bockham. Schalke went down with a 4-2 loss at Abbey Leipzig. Uh we had some interesting events, Graham, at the yeah. top of this Weiterbognus League, with Heidenheim going up, sealing their first ever promotion in dramatic fashion. With I'll let you tell the story. They had a, a late win and, and uh, some Hamburg um hijinks went on as well.
3: Yeah, so if you thought the final day of the Bundesliga season was crazy, you, sh- you should check out what happened in-, in-, in the Bundesliga. How do you say that again, Ryan? Every
1: single week. Zweiter. Dr- Here we go. Dritter for that- third, Zweiter for second. Okay, there we go.
3: So Hamburg were 1-0 up. Heiden- Heidenheim were losing 2-1. And at that point, Hamburg were being automatically promoted. The final whistle goes in the Hamburg game. They've won. And all their fans thought they'd been promoted. They all came onto the pitch. There's a pitch invasion. The players are celebrating. Heidenheim are into stoppage time and losing 2-1 at this point. Then they equalize 2-2, and then in the 99th minute, they scored a winner. So Heidenheim go up, they go from third to top, Hamburg drop down into third place, no longer automatically promoted, and someone had to tell all those fans celebrating on the pitch. Absolute madness, and I think Hamburg at this point, they're just a cursed club. Like, this sort of thing mm. keeps happening to them.
1: Yeah, and they'll now they'll face uh, Stuttgart in the two-legged relegation playoff. We'll see how that one pans out. Hamburg, as you say, don't seem to have uh, Lady Luck on their side in, uh, in these kind of situations, but we will see. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to the Premier League. Back shortly.
3: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We go to Goodison Park, where Everton earn their 70th consecutive top-tier season. And their last season at Goodison Park before their move will be a Premier League season. It is official. They were promoted last in 1954. Joe, can, can you imagine such a year exists? It does. It really does. How? Wow. Uh, Of course, uh, seven years after winning the Premier League, we know now Leicester City have been relegated, as have Leeds United. Should we start off with Everton? They had a 1-0 win over Bournemouth, rendering the other results uh, unimportant for for the other two teams. Everton, Taylor understood the assignment here. Decore with a fantastic goal in this one. Uh, An odd mood after the game with the pitch invasion we had the announcements please do not come on the field please do not come on. instantly everyone comes on the field and then immediate chance of sack the board so happiness at staying up but also ire and uh a lack of uh faith in the uh in the front office at everton
2: i would say a deserved lack of faith at that i think that is very representative of the season that everton have had that they stay up and there is That is a cause to celebrate. I enjoyed uh, Cooligan's co-host, Christian Polanco, posting his reaction. He woke up his young son. He cheered so loudly when Ducori scored. Uh, That made me happy and was a good reminder of how many Everton supporters were... Uh, like biting all of the nails off of their fingers at the end of this game. Uh, But I I think Sean, uh, Sean Dyche was as well. I saw him go for the water bottle like seven times in this game. They kept cutting back to him and he kept screaming and then going to get a water. So good on him for hydrating (laughs) Uh, and good on him for changing it up. He goes with a back three in this game. He has a lot of injuries to deal with. So we have James Garner, who I understand to be a central midfielder playing at right wing back. We had Dwight McNeil, who I think of as being more of a winger playing at left wing back and, and, Though he's gambling a little bit, I think that they made the choice to bring him in when they did. It's given him that level of familiarity with the squad such that he can play James Garner. I think they hadn't really practiced in it when he put him in in this spot last weekend, and it worked well. So he went with it again. And I think that's the type of experimentation you can do if you bring in somebody who's going to get people playing Very, I don't even mean this to be discouraging, it's just very basic football. He got them to do the basics in this game. We'll see what happens with Everton in the offseason and how they kick on. But I think this was an example where changing the manager seems to have had the necessary positive effect. And not least because he brings back in Ducore, who seemed to be on the outs, and Ducore scores a ridiculously well-hit goal that ends up being the winner. So Mm. credit to Ducore, credit to Sean Dyche, and uh, happiness for Everton supporters, even if they are then immediately annoyed with the Everton board.
3: This this was pretty much how every match has gone for Everton under Dyche. So I saw a, a list of, I think they've won five or they won five games under Dyche. One of those was the weird 5-1 win at Brighton. But the other four were all 1-0 wins. And if you look through those wins, a lot of those goals are... Long long range strikes from Dwight McNeil or DeMari Gray or obviously DeCorey in this game. So watching this match, and this was this was my first screen on on, on Sunday. This was the match I, I chose to watch above above all others because my daughter was having a cinema party in uh, my office, which is where I have the multi screen set up. So that was really convenient.
1: But watching Hang on, this pull match, it, Graham. What were they watching?
3: Um, it's like the Little Mermaid, I think she was going to see the new Little Mermaid later, so wanted to watch the the original Little Mermaid on how many screens? You had a prep on three screens all at once. No, I think it was just one screen, okay. but okay. I don't know. My office was commandeered for that. What but yeah, it? watching this game, I, I don't I didn't really know how Everton were going to score because everything was a cross or a long shot and Calvert-Lewin's out injured and they don't really have anyone to make the most of those crosses. So the fact that the the winner comes from this incredible goal from Decorey, which was a real beauty, that was the only way they were going to score a goal. And I don't know if, if anyone has clocked this. Um, so Everton have survived on the final day of the season, I think, four times in their his- in the Premier League history. 96, 98, last season, and then this season. In three of those four instances, the-, the winning goal has been almost identical to the goal that Decore has scored. Look this up, right? Go back to 96, go back to 98, and then yesterday's goal. There's some weird magic going on with Everton where they're just not allowed to drop out of the Premier League, no matter how bad things get. If I'm not mistaken, Graham,
1: one of those 90s goals on the final day was against Wimbledon as well. It was indeed. Yep. I noted that. There we go. There we Check. go. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Bingo card crossed. Let's go. Uh, meanwhile, Joe, Leeds won Tottenham 4. It didn't matter what Leeds did in the end with that Everton win, of course. Uh, they survived on the final day last season. Not so this time. Uh, Harry came with his 30th. Premier League goal of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Another incredible 30 goal uh, season for Harry Kane. Well done to him. But uh a bit of a toxic atmosphere at Leeds uh, after this one. Joe sack the ball chance here as well. Uncertainty over a proposed takeover from uh, the San Francisco 49ers who already own 44% of the club uh yeah not so hot at Leeds, where big sam did not make things better in those final four games it's fair to say
4: the 49ers ownership you gotta at least go for 49 percent like what a missed opportunity (laughs) like that is a huge hey we're gonna need that extra five percent we'll pay you double for it i mean that's a huge branding error
1: Actually, uh, they're rebranding as the same for forty four Cisco 44 It's synergy. completely on-brand. That's, that's yeah. what it's
4: all about. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Leeds fans yelling at the board. Uh, buried the lead much. They're yelling at mean things at Weston McKenney, which they Taylor, yeah, I can't believe you haven't come through the screen to talk about yet. Um, Not, not cool His, his dad fans. already handled it. Yeah, his, his dad, for folks who didn't see, John McKinney, uh <laughs> quote-tweeted a tweet of Harambe. <laughs> and I honestly didn't... I don't remember what the actual tweet was. Just know that in this context, he quote-tweeted... Like a, a in in memoriam video of Harambe and talk about West. But a comment McKinney, about Leeds, yeah, I, I, go look it up. John McKenney, you'll find it on Twitter. I, I think it's gone a little viral. It, it's it's weird. The vibes are weird right now for Leeds in general in this game. They were outclassed in the second minute. Like that that sequence. Get the ball in, get the ball out on the right wing. Then it ends up with Son, and then Son draws like nine defenders towards him. It's not nine, but it's a lot <laughs> of players towards him. Dishes it to Harry Kane. Harry Kane finishes very calmly. It's a beautiful attacking sequence from the individual Spurs players in that moment. And then Leeds had to play catch-up. And ultimately, Ryan, you said it, it didn't, didn't matter what happened in this game as long as Everton won. But, you know, the impetus is still on Leeds to go out there and win this game. Like, of course, that's still what they're trying to do. They can't control the other things around them. and They actually did fairly well, I thought, for stretches of this match. They just couldn't hang for 90 minutes. They created some chances. They didn't give up a ton of really obvious chances from Tottenham. Tottenham just chipped away at him like over the course of this game Tottenham snagged those four goals by the end of the 90 minutes and in some ways it feels like to me this is the perfect way for Leeds to drop out of the Premier League they kept it close for longer than it felt like they should have but they drop out late and show that they don't have quite enough talent to hang I I'm not surprised when Big Sam took over their odds were long to, to, to stay up and they didn't I don't think he was ever really going to be the difference maker for this team. You know, it just wasn't there. Now, the interesting part for a lot of these relegated teams is who's staying and who's going. And and news broke. I think this is relevant for our audience. News broke just before, right, as we started recording that Brendan Aronson has a release clause. So we've talked a lot about him staying in the championship. It now seems like that's a lot less likely to happen. So it was triggered by relegation. I don't know what the number is. But, you know, somebody can come in and pay the release clause and get right into contract negotiations. 44. Negotiations with the players. 44,000 (laughs) pounds. That's what it is. Um. So a lot of turmoil for Leeds right now. I'm not surprised that this happened. I, I grew attached yeah. to them during their time in the Premier League, but that time is now over.
3: They, they had a number of sliding door moments dating all the way back to last summer um, where things could have went one way for them and it went a completely different way. So they, they wanted Cody Gakpo last summer and by all accounts were pretty close to pulling that deal off they were it was them and Manchester United who wanted him they don't get him though obviously and then goals are an issue for them this season or at least having a a, one player who you can rely on as a number nine after sacking Marsh they wanted Andoni Arriola, who is leaving Rio this summer I think there's a very good chance he's in the Premier League next season they don't get him though and then they don't have any real plan b they didn't do a good enough job of replacing Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, who I think last summer we maybe underestimated just how valuable they were to that team. One goes to Manchester City, albeit doesn't feature much. The other goes to Barcelona. I think that says a lot about the quality of the players that they had. But the players that they brought in, while guys like Somerville and Nonto and Aronson and Tyler Adams all have talent, nobody really puts together a consistent run of games in the way that Phillips and Rafinha did last season. So all these mistakes and moments where things didn't come through for them, culminates yeah. in the mess of the final phase of this season where they have Yavi Garcia, who was not their, even their second or third choice for that role, and then they give Big Sam the call. And it really was a mess towards the end. They, they, this may sound harsh, but I think it's fair. They, they deserve to be in the championship next season, to be frank. It's... It's awkward to say because I I share Joe's
2: sentiments towards leads, not just because of the American contingent, because of Jesse Marsh. But I think they were really compelling and and interesting, maybe not always in a good way. And so to see them relegated, it's one of those where the season ends – And then you're sort of sad about it, even though I have no strong loyalties to Leeds. But to your point as well, Graham, about sort of sliding doors moments, The Athletic has a really good piece about sort of what's gone wrong under their ownership, including that there's a a period of time when they're about to be announced as being part of a North American tour for preseason. It's the Premier League in in the United States. And then I think, I forget what the delay is, but in the two weeks between when they were supposed to be announced and when the tour does get announced – the speculation then becomes Leeds might not be a Premier League club and Fulham replaces them. So there's even stuff like that. It just feels like the, the writing was on the wall. And we're talking about the 49ers minority ownership, the 49ers group. Um, by all accounts, they were set to acquire majority controlling interest and then talks sort of broke down or were delayed. And now the the question is, if those talks resume, you would expect that the valuation will be significantly lower since they're not a Premier League club. And it leads to uncertainty about where do they go from here? Do they stay with the current ownership and the current board and try to get right back up? It's possible they could do that. I think they need to do some investing and in figuring out the squad and not least the manager. Uh, but at the same time, do you then sell for a smaller amount to the 49ers group who then can can put that money in themselves? It's, it's going to be interesting over the next month or two to see what leads, what direction they're heading in from the ownership side of things to then figure out how they're going to be proceeding on the footballing side of things.
1: It will be interesting indeed. Big Sam saying he's interested in staying on should he nope. be welcome to do so. Yeah. And uh, he even <laughs> suggested they might be uh, struggling in the championship as well. So we shall see. Yeah, Could
2: really helpful, really helpful from him to not to, to sort of. Take some of the credit or some of the blame, but then immediately put it on. They don't have quality. They don't have the players. They don't have the depth. They're going to struggle in the championship. I'm happy to stay around, but this isn't my fault. Uh, and everyone else could have done uh, worse, and I got us a point. He did say that getting only one point in four games was. Uh, I don't think he said failure, but it was a shortcoming, I believe. But for me, a person who thought he would sort of engineer a turnaround and then they would implode next season, at least they got the implosion out of the way so yeah. that they can focus on uh, recovering this offseason.
1: I just got there quicker for you, Taylor. Yeah, there exactly. exactly. Uh, the biggest surprise relegation certainly is Leicester going down despite a 2-1 win at West Ham on the final day. Seven years, as I mentioned earlier, after winning the Premier League, nine years after coming up. Uh, Graham, surely one of the strongest squads in certainly my memory to actually be relegated and I saw some interesting perspective on this Leicester fans saying yes we're down but we've had such a wild ride this era of the club's history winning the league winning the FA Cup Champions League quarterfinals selling multiple players for fifty million plus, and bringing all those players through it's been it's been a ride for them despite it being over now it
3: has and and if you look at the broader picture you're right Ryan this has been a good period in Leicester's history I kind of draw a line though between the success of that first period. I mean, if we can take that period and split it into two, I think the line is kind of maybe two seasons ago. And actually, um, not to give myself too much credit, but, I, I did tip Leicester to be relegated at the start of the season. It was possibly my only good prediction of the whole season. But I think you could see the issues starting to to stack up. I know Brendan Rodgers, he spoke about a lack of recruitment last summer. They didn't replace Cash for Schmeichel. Um, they had no real succession plan for Jamie Vardy. Johnny Evans is way too important for a, a player at his age and a player with his injury record. And a number of those key players that you kind of reference there, Ryan, players like um, Tielemans and Sionchu, and even... uh, So those players are out of contract at the end of the season, but even someone like James Madison, who is still under contract, there is this acceptance that he will be moving on this summer. So... Yes, a lot of talent, but a lot of talent who maybe had one eye on what was coming after Leicester City. Yeah. And obviously that's natural for a team like Leicester yeah. City who are a selling club and that's part of their business model. But it felt like there was just too many players of that mould at once at the club. And, and Roger saw the, the, the problems coming. Of course, he's not blameless either because it felt like he checked out pretty early. But Leicester... This was the fault they made as a club was they didn't see relegation coming un- until yeah. it was too late. They were one of the the teams down there. You look at all the clubs around there, Everton make a quick move, Leeds make a quick move, even though it doesn't work for them. Leicester were one of the teams that reacted latest with Dean Smith coming in, and that is possibly why they've uh, gone down.
4: And, and one of the biggest things, I think we overlook this position a lot because it just doesn't really factor in for the vast majority of the game, but the moments that it does, obviously very important. It's the goalkeeper position, Casper Schmeichel goes off to Nice and, and, you know, hasn't been insane in Liga this season. But they never replaced Kasper Schmeichel. And the goalkeeping for Leicester this year is, I think, the fourth worst in the Premier League based on shot stopping. Like, they're shipping chances that other teams that stayed up, even teams that were, were lower mid-table, were not shipping. And, and that's a huge problem. Like, even just that one... Look ahead, Graham, you're right. Like, Leeds uh, Leicester, excuse me, didn't factor in what could happen to them they spent too much they didn't have the ability to go out there and bolster the squad in the summer they don't make any signings and that's a, a huge bit of news like this team didn't see it and they didn't see that they needed you know better quality in goal maybe they thought they could get by with with the players that are on the squad right now but clearly that has not been the case
3: but then you see the first goal that they score in, in this game where you have, I think it's James Madison picking up the ball in deep. He feeds it out to Harvey Barnes. He plays a nice one-two with Iheanacho. Barnes continues into the box and then finishes across the goalkeeper in the far side, which is very much the Harvey Barnes goal, the, the Harvey Barnes finish. He scored 13 goals this season in the Premier League. So I think there's a good case to be made that he will be at a Premier League club next season. But when you see the way they construct that goal, and yes, maybe West Ham have their eyes on the, the European final that they've got coming up. But nonetheless, like that's what this Leicester team can produce. Yeah. So I agree with you, Ryan. We haven't seen a team with this level of t- talent go down for quite a while.
2: And one, one other little thing for me, just, Graham, you talked about them being capable of selling or being a selling club and moving players on for, for large amounts of money. But looking at how they've constructed the roster this time, we expect that they're going to sell James Madison. I think Harvey Barnes probably the same, so they'll still make plenty of money. But Yuri Tielemans, Johnny Evans, Papi Mendy, Daniel Amarte, Ayosi Perez, uh, Chala Soyonju and Ryan Bertrand all out of contract. So they're all leaving on freeze. And Tielemans especially is a player that they definitely could have gotten money for. I think Soyonju even uh, with them getting relegated. I have to believe there are lower tier Premier League clubs that maybe would have been interested. And so I-, I think they they that's sort of representative to me of, yeah, they have talent and they have players that they're going to end up selling on for money and that maybe will sustain them in the championship. But at the same time... They're going to need and get a squad overhaul. At least they've got Dean Smith in place. We would assume that he will be their next season in the championship, and maybe they come right back up. But the way they go about getting relegated, losing eight league games in a row, I think they only drew one match. I think that's the only point they got between like February and April. Uh, I mean, that, that shows you how much of a spiral they were in, and they lose Schmeichel, they lose that leadership. I don't think that's replaced, as you all have talked about. There's just a lot of roster flux with this team, and there will be more in this offseason. I think we're going to get a completely different-looking Leicester City next year, and they're ones who I don't know if they're going to be challenging for promotion right away because there are so many unknowns about the club at this moment.
1: Exactly so. Yeah, half the players now will be wearing Newcastle shirts next season. I imagine. Check out. out (laughs) Checks out indeed. Quick look around the rest of the Premier League. Aston Villa back in Europe after 13 years being absent with a 2-1 win over Brighton in the Conference League. Uh, Southampton and Liverpool had a 4-4 draw. Classic final day stuff from them. (laughs) Uh, Eight goals at St Mary's. Theo Walcott announcing it would be his last game with Southampton as well. Graham, my favourite moment was the Firmino goal with the the fake shot that he, he, he took before... The real shot, it was it was poetry in motion. I loved it. Did you see that?
3: Uh, I did see that, yeah. And Firmino was very good in this game and has actually been very good in the last couple of games that he's played. So um, Liverpool may be regretting that he's not sticking around for another season. Yeah, James Milner, his uh, last game for Liverpool in in, in this match as well. Theo, uh, Theo Walcott, as you mentioned there, Ryan. There were a lot of farewells in the Premier League this season. Gran- Granit Zaka scoring twice for Arsenal yeah. uh, in, in his apparent farewell. David De Gea saving a penalty in a match that a lot of people were billing in his last game but then at the end he's like I'm, I'm not actually leaving I'm not, I'm, I'm not actually going to be going anywhere as much as maybe you think I, I should be going but yeah a lot of farewells
1: Yeah, uh, Man United as you mentioned they're getting a 2-1 win over Fulham to wrap up third place in the Premier League very good Uh, season for Eric Ten Hag in his debut much better than we might have thought it would be after the first few games of this Man United season good momentum for the FA Cup final for Man United Brentford getting a 1-0 win over Man City but missing out on the Europa League uh, this season round but finishing ninth which is an incredible achievement for Brentford well done
3: just to jump in there Ryan Brentford got 21 points against the traditional big six this season which is absolutely outstanding I think that might have been the the best um, the best record of any team besides mm. the the big six taking points off each other. Yeah, they're they're a good team.
1: Very good. Speaking of the big six, Chelsea with the one one draw of a Newcastle, the uh, Frank Lampard reign ending with a point. Yay! Uh, which which
3: of the big
2: six were you putting in <laughs> that category? Newcastle or Chelsea? Uh,
1: both. I don't yeah. know anymore. It's changing, right? We should yeah. maybe we'll see some changes next season. Interesting. It's the Great Eight. Uh, <laughs> there we go.
2: Can can anyone who has thoughts help me make sense of David De Gea for a moment? Because th- there has been, as Graham said, a <laughs> no. ton of speculation that he is going to be moved on, that he is no longer the goalkeeper that Manchester United need. Yep. And yet we're also talking about the goalkeeper that won the Golden Glove Award for this season. That's <laughs> the best goalkeeper, I guess, or statistically the best goalkeeper. I'm not really sure, but I'm assuming a lot of it has to do with distribution. Uh, and the like but it's still an odd one that there was this sort of foregone conclusion he was going to go well at the same time being awarded with the best goalkeeper what, in the
4: sorry what what is that award like how do they measure that award because those uh,
3: clean sheets in a
4: season all right that can we all agree that that's a okay. really dumb way to do that are yeah, we all on board sure. like that I
3: mean, they should have he should have taken that trophy and just handed it to Lissandra Martinez and Casemiro yeah, like that's, that's really the real reason <laughs> that's a
4: nonsense way to, to go about doing that because it, it relies on the rest of the team and if you play really bad teams they're not going to shoot like I think we can sort of reason out how, how silly that is. I think David De Gea might be at the club next season. I don't think he should be the number one. He's been a below average shot stopper in four of the last five seasons. He, he's not good enough. Like Manchester United, their squad isn't good enough right now to accommodate a, a slightly below average goalkeeper. I think goalkeeper, number nine, defensive midfield, those need to be on the list for Manchester United this summer. And if they're not, I I don't really think this team is going to do a whole lot. All right. And just to round up the Premier League there, uh, Mauricio Pochettino has officially signed
1: on at Chelsea until 2026. He starts his new role next week as part of the big Big 11, big six. I'm not sure what Chelsea are these days, but we shall <laughs> big see. Big 14. There we go. Uh, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to welcome Luton into the Premier League. We're going to look around Europe. We're going to look at MLS, and then we're going to get out of here back shortly.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We turn our attention to the championship playoff, the richest game in soccer. Have you got your top hat ready, Graham? We're talking about the richest game in soccer here, worth at least, I don't know, a, a billion dollars. The number, <laughs> the number changes regularly, I've heard. Yeah, that, was straight, that was
2: straight Austin Power style from Ryan Bailey, just throwing <laughs> out a number and hoping it worked.
1: Well, I've seen $100 million. I've seen like $500 million. It depends how you value it. But either way, a place in the Premier League uh, was going to either Coventry or Luton. It was 1-1. After uh, extra time, Jordan Clark with the opener, Gustavo Homer with the equalizer, Luton winning 6-5 on penalties. I was nervous, Graham, for both teams in this one. It was quite a watch. Uh, elsewhere, Tom Lockyer, Luton's captain, collapsed uh, quite worryingly earlier in, in, in the game. Uh, he was conscious when he left the pitch. He watched the remainder of the game in hospital and I believe is okay at the moment. But, Graham, it's, it's rough on Coventry that they lose out in the Premier League on a shootout, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So I was fully
3: engaged in, in this match from start to finish, more so than the normal for playoff finals, which are typically very captivating matches. But I think the reason I was really engaged in this one was you got the sense that maybe these whoever loses this match maybe won't be back in this position next season. Maybe that's a little bit harsh in commentary. and look, I wouldn't profess to be an expert on how their season has gone and, and, and their team. I haven't watched much of them. But both, both teams seem to be in a very similar position. They had a very similar narrative where they've been in the doldrums. They built themselves back up. They maybe don't have the budgets that some of the other championship teams that missed out in the playoffs have, and you would expect them to be stronger next season. So, yeah, I was I was very nervous for the, the shootout. Players didn't seem to be that nervous because the penalties were My absolutely word. outstanding. Oh, great. And, and and the only bad penalty was from Dabo, who was the, the player who ended up... Uh, who ended up mu- missing it. Yeah, but I, I thought it was a-, a-, a good game and obviously Luton has a great story over the last three decades. They've gone from the-, the top division all the way down into non-league and now they've come all the way back up again. They were a non-league team as recently as 2014. With that in mind, I kind of wonder what Rob and Ryan think of Luton. A bit of inspiration for them there. But unlike Wrexham, uh, Luton don't have rich Hollywood actors behind them. They've recruited well. They've built and built and built over a number of seasons. And it is fantastic that they will be in the Premier League next season. It is
1: fantastic. Going from non-league to the top flight in nine years. Only one other club's done it, Graham. Only one other club in the history's done it. Can you guess which one they're on the bingo card? No, I, yeah. I can't guess. Okay. It Phoenix Rising. How did they yeah. do that? That's crazy. It was Phoenix Rising. Right? Wow. Um, Little Town, uh, as we've mentioned, Kenilworth Road is their stadium, a capacity of just over ten thousand, surrounded by row houses. You've all seen the photos. It looks spectacular. Premier League uh, handbook rule K says that Luton has 11 weeks to comply with stadium regulations. They've got to spend £10 million getting up to code. what we're talking about, $15 million. They've got to upgrade the floodlights. And also, Taylor, they have to ensure there are 50 television camera positions. 50 in that thing. 50 positions. That's like, like half
2: the stadium right there. Yeah. I don't know it's how like, they're going to fill those seats anymore. They're gonna cameramen going to have camera going down. Yeah, it's right. They're just going to
3: get fans to hold phones on gimbals. That's how they're going <laughs> to. hold it steady, man. Number. Hold it steady. This is our fiftieth <laughs> yeah.
4: spot.
2: A lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, cell phone cams are going to be happening. I got to say, that is quite the way to be welcomed into the Premier League. That happens every now and then when smaller clubs get promoted. It happened in League on oh, not too long ago, but to just be like, Hey, congratulations on winning, here is an invoice for all the expenses you're going to have immediately if you want Here's to even be able, able to not roughly good enough compete. Yet. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> that's quite the welcome. That's quite the warm welcome.
1: It is indeed. Well, they are preparing to uh, move to a new purpose-built stadium called Power Court. Power Court is the best stadium name ever. I love that. That's going to have around 23,000 capacity when it's eventually finished. They're apparently going to start on that at the end of uh, this calendar year. So uh, not quite in time for the Premier League season, of course. So it became a worse road for now. How
3: quickly can you build a stadium? Joe, Phoenix Rising, I believe they moved their
1: stadium for this
4: season. Yeah, just How long just did pick that it up and move It, it takes like yeah. four months. You're good to go. Yeah.
1: There yeah. we go. There you go. Just drop it in between some houses over some people's backyards, as the current stadium is. You're, you're absolutely fine. Um, yeah, so play player celebration in Luton today... Oh, sorry, a, 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 a town-wide celebration, as we record, happening right now in Luton. On Thursday, the players are going to Las Vegas to live the Wrexham dream and to <laughs> be some pasty guys at a cabana by the pool, They're just even. trying to
2: that's a nice way to put it ryan i assume it's they're sending them there in hopes that somebody hits it big and then they can afford some of these stadium fees that they're gonna have to spend
1: <laughs> bring back some of those lights we need them right, we need exactly. them for our floodlights. there we go there's a
2: team there called las vegas lights <laughs> we need lights take them don't let anyone know here's a big old suitcase and uh you have to pay the overage if it costs if it weighs too much
1: yeah there we go but uh obviously Kenilworth road is being deemed an advantage Fort Luton. Uh, back in the day, I'm going to mention one more time. Wimbledon played at Plough Lane, which was of a similar size. Uh, where, and when they first went up into the top division, it was quite a shock, reportedly, even back then for the players. Deliberately, Wimbledon only had cold water in the uh, away dressing room, and like they it. Had, like had like a bucket on the floor, like it was it was it was bad, like deliberately. So maybe there's some of those vibes. Because, of course, we all know Premier League soccer players have never seen bad things before. They've only had five-star luxury, so this is going to bamboozle them when they see some sub uh, substandard facilities. I'm
2: a course. big fan of the Luton Town Crest. Uh, having done a, mm-hmm. a, a, a show about, or li- answered a listener question about the best crests, we've got... Uh, a fancy hat, we've got a bee, we've got flowers, we've got a beehive, we've got something else. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very fancy day on the town sort of crest for Luton. Yeah, so I hope yeah. that they're all wearing those hats today as they celebrate.
3: It's it's funny that like MLS franchises spend years designing like the perfect social media badge and then Luton Town have produced that. I'm confused, Ryan, what is Luton's home kit? What is their color of their home kit? Orange. So it's orange, right? Because yeah. historically it's white. But then did they change to orange because of a certain budget airline that flies out of the (laughs) local airport (laughs) that used to sponsor them? I'm confused over what color actually is their home kit. So
1: they've always had blue, white, and orange, basically, in their their color scheme. But you're right, it wasn't majority orange before, so I don't know the full story there. But it is, yeah, very strange. But certainly when Wimbledon were playing them not that long ago, they were always in orange as well, so... We we should find out. Yeah, Luton, by the way, is, as Graham says, is where there's an airport. It's it's next to or near Watford, so it's technically in the north of England. So, listen, you don't need to go there. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, Burnley, Chevy United and Luton, all northern teams going up to the Premier League next season. Congratulations to all three.
2: The Wikipedia page for Luton informs me that the club released a song, The Hatter's the Hatter's, a collaboration between Luton team and Bedfordshire-based musical comedy group The Baron Knights in 1974. Mm -hmm. We're going to have some empty spaces on the TSS schedule uh, now with the season coming to a close. I kind of feel like one of them needs to be us reviewing uh, different songs from different football clubs because there have been a number and they've all been pretty ridiculous, so maybe Luton can be added to that roster.
1: Mm. Do you remember when Arsenal did the Do You Think I'm Sexy remake? I don't, and I'm glad that I had that professionally
3: removed from my brain. I don't need it back.
1: Was It hot? It was a hot chocolate song, wasn't it? I'm sure they did something. What era are
3: we talking about? Please tell me Paul Merson did this.
1: Uh, I might be confused in my brain. They did something that was cheesy in the early 2000s. Anywho, European roundup. Let's go to Spain, where Real Sociedad booked their Champions League place despite a 2-1 defeat at Atletico Madrid. Is that right, Graham? Yes, that's right, isn't it? Yes, good.
3: Yes, it is right. And we've spoken a little bit about La Real. I'm pleased to see them in the Champions League. It's been a long time coming.
1: It has been indeed. Real Madrid with a 2 1 win at Sevilla. Comeback win with Rodrigo gaining a brace. Uh, Valencia, by the way, their racism fine and their stadium ban has been reduced on appeal. The partial closure of oh uh, sorry, of Masaya, no definitive article, has been reduced from three to five matches. And their fine has been cut from 45,000 euros to 27,000 euros. Spanish police have detained mm. three people in connection with the abuse suffered. Uh, yes.
2: They did it. They solved racism. Yeah. We're yeah. good yeah. now. Good job. Uh, good job. Uh, good job yeah
1: also
3: i watched their game at the weekend so they were playing espanol espanol and um, their relegation was confirmed in that match that's why i was watching it so the stand behind the goal was closed but valencia had put up a giant and i mean a giant sign that said respect valencia fans which obviously in isolation there's nothing offensive about that message but with the context of everything that has gone on and why that stand is closed not really the message i think that valencia should valencia should be putting out there yeah
1: those poor put upon valencia fans indeed uh, Barcelona with a 3 0 win over Mallorca Graham at the new camp?
3: Yeah, um, obviously, not a, a great deal on the line for Barcelona, given that they wrapped up the league title a long time ago, but this was Sergio Busquets' final game at Camp Nou. He was given a big send-off. He has been so important to, to that team for such a long time and even at this late stage of his career, I think he's going to be very difficult to replace. This was also Jordi Alba's last game at Camp Nou. Maybe even Ansu Fati's last game at Camp Nou as well, although that one is is, is very much still up in the, in the air. His future still to be decided. And then this was also Barcelona's final game at Camp Nou until November 2024, if all goes to plan. They will be redeveloping that stadium next season and um, half of the following season as well. So it is going to be weird to watch Barcelona play home games at another stadium because this stadium has basically been frozen in time my entire adult life, my entire life, I think, actually. Um, And there's a little bit of uncertainty and doubt over when they will actually be back because the plans are and pardon the pun not exactly set in concrete there's a a bit of fluidity on when they will be back
2: graham forgive me if you said this at the beginning of this comment but are they playing are they going to do what real madrid did and play in their sort of smaller ground or are they playing just in someone else's stadium olympic stadium right
3: yeah they're playing in the olympic stadium in in barcelona so for the what was that the 94 olympics held in barcelona 92 92. Um, 92 has it just been hanging out since then
1: yeah, yeah Coldplay Col- I think yeah. um, Coldplay played there last week, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Which is
3: so it just it just holds Coldplay kegs every yeah. couple years. Yeah, it's Ryan. Coldplay's
1: home <laughs> home ground, but they're sharing it with Barcelona.
3: Ryan, settle the theory
2: I have. Do you just know where Coldplay are at any given moment? Like, can you just like they're in Bulgaria now? Like, do you just know, or do you have to look it up every now?
1: Well, and Well, when and you like? have the Apple Watch Ultra, it's got a couple of functions <laughs> on it. One of them tells you the direction of Coldplay at any given time. Yeah. It just starts playing.
3: Dun, 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 <laughs> no, that summons dun, Pep Guardiola. Dun,
1: actually, that, that noise. <laughs> um, Milan, uh, Serie A, still got a week left to go. Milan securing Champions League soccer for next season with a one-nil win at Juventus. Juventus, Graham finishing in yes. seventh after their ten-point yeah. deduction. After their fifteen-point deduction. After fifteen points being given back. <laughs> Math fun.
3: Yeah, this was a weird match because actually there was a lot on the line. Juventus needed a win to stay in top four contention. Uh, AC Milan obviously ultimately secured Champions League qualification, but it was just so low-key. It felt like AC Milan won this match in third gear. There was there was a clearance off the line um, late on from a Juventus chance, but other than that they offered next to nothing, particularly after the Milan goal. And I think the apathy at that club is just unavoidable right now. It does. It didn't really feel like there was any unrest in the stands either. There was just no fight, no intensity, no urgency. A lot of those things have been pretty commonplace for Juventus this, this season under Allegri, who remarkably sought out the season. Remember the discussion we had about him very early on in the campaign um, but this has to be the end of his time at Juventus. They're bringing in Cristiano Giuntoli as the new sporting director, so he was the Napoli sporting director, so that is a very encouraging appointment. Um, incidentally, Spalletti seems like he might be on his way out of Napoli, so I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's likely, but I just wonder if maybe he ends up at Juventus. I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out entirely. But yeah, it's a big summer for Juventus on and off the pitch. They need to rebuild that team
1: entirely. All right. Uh, meanwhile, in France, PSG wrapping up their eleventh league title with a one 0 win at Strasbourg. Leo Messi scoring his four four hundred ninety sixth goal in Europe's top five leagues, surpassing Ronaldo's previous record of four hundred ninety five. Uh, there's an interesting video of Kylian Mbappe. He hit a fan in the stands in the face during warm ups uh, for this game. And he did the good thing, he did the honourable thing, immediately went over to her, see if she's OK, sort of brought her onto the field and made sure she was OK while being treated. So good on Mbappe for that one. PSG's goalkeeper, Sergio Rico, is in intensive care. That same day, he was in a horse riding accident, evidently not involved in the PSG victory there. He was in Spain at the time. He is in serious condition. We wish Sergio Rico very well after that uh, riding incident. Benfica won the Portuguese Primera for the first time since 2019, thanks to a 3-0 win over Santa Clara. On the final day, it's a record 38th title for Benfica. Sorry, Joe. um Porto finished two points behind there. You're uh your principality. Is it your principality? No, you're a uh, my land. You do over it. My yeah. my yeah. area that
4: will. There'll be repercussions. So i us just put it that way. There'll
1: be <laughs> <laughs> Live in fear, people of Porto. Finally, Joe. <laughs> would you uh give us a little preview of the MLS action over this weekend? Oh boy.
4: Yeah, so I'm just going to do one, and I assume yep. we'll talk more about even this one tomorrow, yep. and we can just dive into the rest of the stuff tomorrow, whatever we want to get to. Uh, it's, it's Toronto. So they, coming mm. into this weekend, had two wins from 14 games. Uh, last weekend's games involved Lorenzo Insigne being injured in the most aggressive air quotes that have ever air quoted. Then you have Bernadeschi after that game hinting out, uh, hitting out at Bob Bradley's tactics. They did not do well last weekend. Then reports come out that he's not happy in Toronto doesn't like Bob Bradley. On Friday, Bob Bradley announces that he's not including Bernadeschi in the squad against DC United because of a coach's decision. And then, this is when it gets good, the Athletic drops a magnum opus (laughs) on Friday of last week. That includes lots of detail. I'm not going to go over all of it. Again, we'll do more tomorrow. But basically saying that Insigne and Bernadeschi don't like each other. Bernadeschi is mad that he doesn't make as much money as Insigne and tried to to make that happen, and Toronto said, "Mm, No. He apparently wanted to go to MLS Media Day in San Jose because, of course, everyone has – all players do. Uh, There are also reports that he continues to vape indoors, which I think is illegal in Canada and, like, just kind of won't stop when Toronto tell him to to stop. (laughs) Also reports in that article that Insigne doesn't like Bob Bradley, said that he was going to leave after last season if Bob Bradley was still there. Obviously, that, that didn't happen. I'm guessing that was kind of a hissy fit. Uh, then there's Bob Bradley and Bernadeski getting heated about stuff. Michael Bradley and Mark Anthony Kay getting involved. Bernadeschi roasting them. Just so much good content in that article. If you haven't go read it, uh, please, please go and, and do so immediately. There's a ton <laughs> of other stuff about Bill Manning, who I think looks worse than anybody else, even than, than the vapor himself in this particular piece. So Bill Manning is the president of Toronto... Yeah, just lots of issues there that I think Goss and I will have fun, Taylor, as, as you sort of moderate to, on tomorrow's show, diving into. <laughs> and then after all of that, Toronto go and beat DC United 2-1 over the weekend because, yeah, because of course that would happen. It's still tons of problems here, but that is easily the juiciest storyline of the season. And the LA Galaxy exists, and that's still the most juicy storyline of the sea, of the season so but far. But did they win? But did they win, Joe? Did they win? The Galaxy did not win. Toronto absolutely who, who did. Who beat them? Who, who beat what? them? Uh, who um, beat the galaxy? Who was it? Well, can't. Phoenix is already out of the Open Cup. I don't know who it would be, Ryan. I can't. Okay, never mind. The, Car-
2: the Carolina Rail Maybe that you'll cover wins. that. That's
1: yeah, you means. might cover that tomorrow. I, I enjoy that you pointed out the vaping. The problem with it was it's illegal indoors, rather than it's a soccer player doing it. I lo- <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, having been to many games here in Italy, I think smoking where you're not supposed to smoke is sort of an Italian right. So. <laughs> I think he's just being doing what he's supposed to be doing there. So, frankly, that's fine. Uh, one other thing to note, Graham, in the WSL, Chelsea winning their fourth straight title. They've done a double after picking up the FA Cup a couple of weeks back as well.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, there was there was no real final day drama in the WSL. So, Chelsea went 1-0 up against Reading after 18 minutes. Reading um, actually relegated um, after this result. And from there, Chelsea just sort of cruised from that point. They won 3-0 in the end, a double from Sam Kerr, another from uh, Guto Wrighton all very comfortable for them and that's all they needed to finish top. United um, did do their bit. They beat Liverpool 1-0 away from home thanks to another Lucia Garcia goal. A couple of big goals for her in successive weeks but as I say, a bit anticlimactic after last weekend which produced all the drama. As you say, that's four WSL titles in a row for Emma Hayes' team. They are a bit of a machine at the moment.
1: They are indeed and so are you, Graham, for weekend reviewing so gosh darn well. Graham, thank you very much for your time
4: and contributions. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Uh, a pleasure was mine. Also, Graham, I hope you find some sand. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my best.
1: Yeah, go find some sand in Arizona. Go ask some Eskimos for some ice and everything will be okay, Graham. Uh, Taylor, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. Uh, thank you
2: all, though I don't have much sympathy for Graham because they had a Sands and they didn't keep it. So it's sort of
3: oh, uh, not ah. certain for me whether or not Scotland really needs a James Sands. Hey, oh. Yeah, we, we weren't so keen on that Sands.
1: Send us, send them some other.
3: About his brother,
4: Will Sands, (laughs) real person.
1: (laughs) 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 On that sandy note, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this weekend review. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye.